Hi, this is Jason Lee, Pastor Casper Reliance Church. This is our continued series in the book of Hebrews, going all the way up to Labor Day. Uh, this would be like week 15 of the series. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. This will be the third part. I think we're doing four parts in Hebrews 12. Uh, this week we talk about bitterness. Hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to know more about, more about our church, check us out at casperchurch.com. Thank you so much for listening. 12. This is... Uh... Week three, we're going to be four weeks in Hebrews 12, maybe five, maybe the rest of the year. We're going to look at a handful of verses um, and have an okay conversation. Like I'll be talking with myself, you'll listen. <laughs> it is funny when when guys that do this particular type of thing that I do say, hey, we're about to have a conversation. I'm like, There's, this is probably the only church where that might be a real issue, where people actually talk back at me while I'm talking. Everything else is like, people accept that like, okay, this guy's joking about having a conversation. He's just talking at me. But we're going to do, we're going to do verse 12 through 17. Now, the way that it's structured probably in your Bible, it looks like a paragraph break, right? You read it and then like it stops and it, and it creates another thought. It looked, that's how it's broken up, but that's not how it's uh, really shaped if you were to read it in the original language. There isn't like, the paragraph breaks are for us English speakers who need to need some sort of like, wait, I need to organize this, or it like it was designed for uh, daily Bible reading, so you're like, okay, I can stop here, because I've read a lot today, and I'm going to stop here. Um, this is this is a, a continuous thought, and they, they relate to each other, and so there's a, it's almost like the, uh, the, the pastor here that's writing Hebrews is like making a punch list, and just like, Boom, 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 boom. But they work together. They're, they form, the, there's a harmony here. So listen to this. Verse, uh, starting with verse 12 of Hebrews 12, it says this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness, and that's, we're going we're gonna to kind of camp there today. Poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright at the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. He was rejected. It was too late to re uh, for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Father, I pray that this morning as we look into your word, as I talk, um, that you... Um, you supersede my words with your words. Your spirit is active in the minds, the hearts, as people uh, begin to uh, think, listen, or just hear from you this morning. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, bitterness is something that I am quite an expert on. I, um, I'm a perf I have my master's degree in bitterness. And that it is, um, bitterness is a word that we don't use. It's not a thing that we talk about. There isn't a positive implication to bitterness. There isn't like one of those, you know, it's, it's a double entendre. It could mean this in this particular point. It could mean that and that. No, bitterness is just bad. 
And bitterness is this thing that like, I, and I'm not joking or even trying to make some sort of light of it. It's something I'm really, really, really good at. And I've used it uh, as a weapon, as motivation, as permission for behavior, for words, for the way in which I talk to people, or, or how I interact with my, my uh, frankly, coworkers in my past, whether it's uh, slinging burgers at Wendy's or in the church. Bitterness uh, has become fuel to give me, and, I'm, uh, and I, I think you can probably make this question, fuel to give me permission to act the way I want to act. And so I'm an expert at bitterness. Now, all of us could self-identify and start to think about your own life and go, you know what? Ooh. Yeah, I might be bitter. But what really, what really is bitterness, right? Well, bitterness at its core, and this is, this is uh, uh, I'll just say, bitterness is unresolved, unforgiven anger and resentment. It's the result of anger changing from an experience to a belief. Bitterness is seething and constant. Bitter people carry the same burdens as angry people, but at an exaggerated pace. Bitterness is, is um, it's like when the emotion of anger moves into real activity. Now, the emotion of anger is not a problem. In fact, it's, it's, we have permission at times to be angry towards things. But when it moves into this activity that like permeates, that um, saturates your life, there's not a positive response to bitterness. And so this is why the writer, the, the Hebrew pastor here is saying, you need to not let this thing, this root of bitterness, begin to plant and fruit itself and re, refruit itself. And it's be, like, it's, um, has anybody waited maybe too long to mow your lawn? Well, I'll tell you what, in other parts of the country, if you wait long enough to mow your lawn, it will do this thing called seeding. Here in Wyoming, if you wait too long and you don't have an irrigation system in your house, it just burns. So like, but like if you wait long enough, it'll, it'll get so high, then there'll be these little seeds on it, and then it'll, they go, and then your, your lawn starts to have more and more grass. It's actually self-propagating. It like continues to grow itself. Here in Wyoming, no, it's, it's just, just dead brown life in everybody's yard. That's what we need bitterness to be, by the way. We need to burn it out of our lives. But, but what happens is when you allow bitterness to grow inside of you and just create this root, this strong root that holds on and will not relent no matter what, it'll continue to seed and it'll actually begin to infest and, and, and poison everything in your life. This is why I say I'm an expert. It doesn't matter what sort of things have happened in my life. I've used bitterness as this fuel to give me permission. Now hear that. Bitterness is fuel for, for me to have permission. Meaning that like I feel justified in my behaviors. I feel justified in my words. I feel justified in my actions. I feel justified in my righteous indignation towards the behavior of somebody that I feel like is not doing it the way that I want to see it done, right? And so think of all of the things that you feel justified in doing. Maybe they're good things, but also are you doing them because you're motivated because you're angry and it's unresolved? How about the way you treat somebody because they've wounded you or hurt you? 
Like you, you just, I'm, you know what? I know it's that person's birthday, but <laughs> I'm not gonna let them know that I know. I mean, that's a silly example. But there are things in your life that you are doing. I know it because, listen, I'm a pastor, so I'm as close to holy as possible. Thank you for laughing. Like, there's somebody in this room that's going, is that real? He's like, he's not being, like, and all of you parents that have your kids in here, you need to explain to them what, what, that that's not true. And then you need to explain to them why I told hyperbole as a lie as a pastor. You, there's a, I just created a problem for you this afternoon. But have fun with it. But there's this, there, we all have them, right, to where we act a certain sort of way, and we feel that we're okay in doing that. We treat somebody differently, we, we, we talk to them differently, we have a little bit more harshness, we're more uh, uh, just like, just aggressive maybe, and I'm not talking about being like soft in every conversation, I'm, there's a time for firmness, but I'm talking about the way in which we take what's happening inside of us in a negative, poor, bad way, because we're bitter, and we have unresolved anger, and we have unresolved relationships, and we have unresolved sin in our life, and we just just barf it onto other people. And they have to experience the pain that's inside of us by us wrecking them for the day. You know that, that cliche phrase, hurt people hurt people? It's, it's, it's a cliche because it's true. And when bitterness begins to like just get a hold of your insides and start to grow, like you, you start to lose control of, I, I believe you lose control of the way in which you speak and talk and think and act towards others. <sighs> so all of this is stated to somebody who's, this is preached, taught in the church to somebody who's spiritually exhausted, that's physically exhausted, to you're at your lowest, your weakest point. So I've joked about this. I grew up in Nebraska. Everything in Nebraska is farmed. Um, if it's not farmed, they want to give it to some other part of the country and say, you can have it because it can't be farmed. And so I've always joked about how I'm a farmer because I'm not, I really am not. I have no clue on farming. I was like talking to Adrienne yesterday about her garden. I'm like, hey, is this, it looks like you have things growing. And they're like, they're not ready yet. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and, but when you, when you go to plant, you have to do damage to the ground. You have to tear up the ground. You have to turn it upside down. You've got to till it. You've got to root out all the garbage in it. You have to do actual structural damage to the, to the ground in order to get the seed really deep. When you're exhausted and you're spiritually tired and you've been oppressed and you feel wounded, that's, that's the same as having your soul tilled upside down. And here's the warning from the pastor, the Hebrew pastor. Watch what gets planted in here. Because you are ripe to grow something beautiful that can produce uh, a harvest of righteousness, which was just talked about last week, or you, you are ripe to have this garbage put into your soil of your soul to where you're going to produce these plants that corrupt. And it's the same soil, the same soul thing that gets turned upside down, that gets tilled in order to be prepared. So spiritual exhaustion, physical exhaustion, persecution tills the soul. It makes it, it turns it upside down. And that's where the warning comes, to be ready. So go back to verse 12 of Hebrews 12. 
take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. There's a warning shot. You gotta grab hold tight. Grab hold of the tight to the promises that were already said. That fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Do not look at this discipline as a problem. Look at what God's doing in your heart and actually shaping and building you up. Do not, I know you're tired is what the pastor's saying. I know you're weak. Take a new grip, a new grip. Hold on tight. Because this path that you're about ready to walk has a potential to go sideways. Grip, new grip, you have tired knees, mark out a straight path, do the plan, do perp- be decisive. We're just talking out, out in the, maybe some of you heard me talking out there because I have a loud voice while you guys were doing worship. But like, by the way, I'm not inviting anybody to join some of these conversations, but there are like spiritual things happening out there while you guys are doing things in here. And there's sometimes it's really just good stuff. And one of the things that was we that were just talked about, I'm not going to say who it was, that's like we need to make life, we need to happen to not life, not life happen to us. Right? So you, there's, there's a decisiveness that's, that the spiritual life desires, needs, and even craves and demands. And this is what the writer's saying. Take a new grip, mark out your path. Be, make life happen. Don't let it happen to you. Be decisive. Mark your path out. Plan, purpose. Be intentional about what's next because be, your soul being turned upside down has the opportunity to have bad seed thrown into it, has horrible seed thrown into it. You know what's really, really awful? And I, and I, I look around because I know that we're all consumers and, of news and stuff, right? You have a bad day. One of the worst things that you can do is turn on Fox. I'm giving you permission to never turn it on ever again in your life. You don't need to watch it. Because when we're in our worst place, when we're in our hardest spot, when we're tired and annoyed with our workday, when we've had a rough time and you turn it on and it's this happened and this happened and the economy's going this direction and blah, 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 blah. Those are seeds of garbage into the soul that is gonna just produce bitterness in your life. And, and you just don't need it. Because you're clinging to something else that you want to harvest inside of you than the, than the spirit of God. And this is, this is dangerous. And I think it's one of Satan's greatest tools for the, to, to like create his chaos on planet earth is to when we are exhausted spiritually, when we're broken mentally, when we're tired emotionally, and, we have, and we're up against it, and our soul is just feeling, Ugh, we cling to the things that make us angry because it's the laziest emotion. It is so easier to be angry than it is to be peaceful. It's so easier to just rage. It, we, it, and it's so like there's this, be careful what you're getting planted into your soul. This is a, this is a you can mark your days by it. Bad day at work. How lazy am I going to be with my brain today? Dangerous. Be purposeful, intentional, mark out your path. So those that who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. So when purposeful, intentional path-making happens, strength from that new grip starts to reign. Now, here we go. Here's, here's the keys. Here, here are some of the things that we're going to get into uh, quickly. The writer gives us kind of two, two things that can happen in your life to, like, carry this out. One, live at peace with people. That doesn't mean live at weak with people. That doesn't mean don't stand up for 
uh, your, what you believe and don't stand up for uh, being abused. That, it's not to just cower and be punched. You're not a punching bag. But living at peace with people requires a certain amount of self-examination uh, and uh, um, we're going to get into it in a second, to where you are intentional about how you interact with others. He also calls people to live holy. Those are your two things. Live at peace with people and be holy. When, you, when those two things are happening, the grip gets stronger, the path is clearer, and you know what you're doing? You're removing any sort of opportunity for the seed of bitterness to kind of land. So he says, work at living a peace with everyone and work at living a holy life together, united. Those two things happen at the same time. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other. So then again, the writer's saying, live at peace, live holy, and pay attention to one another, which is, let's just be frank, that's not the Wyoming way. We don't like to invade each other's space too much. Just enough to be like, hey, we can share some guac and have some chips and, you know, maybe, maybe a beer every now and again. But we will not really get deep into each other's life. Because I don't really want you to get deep into my life. I'm telling you, as a church family, Casper Line Church, I want to lead us towards a space that's uncomfortable to where you walk into this place and these people care about you. We've had enough heartache, pain, suffering, problems in our own church family to where we can't, we have to receive those who are hurting out there. We have to receive those who are in pain, who are suffering, and be transparent, authentic, and real with them because we know what it feels like to hurt. We know what it feels like to lose. We know what it feels like to be exhausted spiritually. We know what it feels like to be uh, just be bent over and spanked over and over and over again. And here's the deal. We know the solution to it. We know how to fight through it. We know how to live in victory of it. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You don't have an excuse anymore. You gotta claim these promises of fixing your eyes on Jesus and you have to acknowledge that you have been turned upside down and begin to make decisions and be purposeful about living a certain sort of way that includes peace with men and holy living and, when, and paying attention to one another. Because when we have eyes on one another, when we're attentive to one another, we can see it. We can see it in each other's lives. If you know somebody long enough, you can go, you know what, they're struggling. And I'm gonna come alongside and I'm gonna scoop up with my arm and I'm gonna say hi, I'm gonna hug, I'm gonna, whatever that thing is for us to be able to be just a touch different than the world and definitely a touch different than the Wyoming culture. We're gonna be attentive to the people in our lives, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family so that they can interact with the person of Christ living out through us. Here's the deal. Look after each other so that no one fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And here he gets into a great story. So uh, turn with me to Genesis 27. We know that we've talked about the story here, actually, I think, when we went through the patriarchs. Uh, I don't know. It might have been... Who knows? I'm losing years at this particular point. This is one of the great travesties and kind of crazy stories in the Bible. Um, Esau, Jacob and Esau, uh, the brothers who just, what a, anyway, let's read it. I'm going to read Genesis 27 to you. But the, the, the Hebrew writers is, is leveraging this story and saying, I know that you all know the story and I know that you know how the story ends. And I know that you need, that when you understand how this story ends, you'll, you'll be more motivated to be intentional about the way in which you live your life. So listen to this. Uh, 
essentially, let's not be lazy about how we live. Let's not be lazy about the inheritance of God's grace in our life. Hear the story. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, my son. Yes, father, Esau replied, I am old. I'm an old man now. Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebecca overheard that what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son, Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I will use them to prepare for your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so that he can eat it and bless you before he dies. Now here, listen, we're, I'm going to keep reading the story. But like, we don't know what's going on in her head, right? But I just see like she's giving herself permission to act a certain sort of deceiving, de De devious. Deceivious is not a word, kids. But I, I challenge you all to work it into a sentence this week. She's acting devious. We can't, we're not in her mind, but she has given herself permission. She feels empowered to do this particular thing. She knows, I think, I want to believe, she knows she's doing something very wrong and very evil and very, very, very upside down-ish. But she still feels that she's justified in doing it. She has something inside of her that says, I have permission to do this particular thing. But look, Jacob replied to Rebecca, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebecca took, uh, took them and prepared a delicious meal so that the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her young son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of, a, of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. The first cosplay event just happened for all you teenagers who know what I just said. So Jacob took the food to his father, my father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? So even, even the text is saying, he's having questions. There's something odd here. There's something a little bit different here. All right, Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Now here's a question for all you hunters out here. Is there a difference in taste between goat and antelope? I don't know. I, I'm not gonna eat a goat. How about goat's milk versus antelope milk? Is there a difference? It's like, is there a thing? I mean, there's a difference. There's got to be a difference between goat and wild game in my mind, right? There's got to be a difference. Okay. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? I'm a great hunter. The Lord, your God, put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau's. Again, he's like, there's, 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 something's going, I don't know about this. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him, and the voice, the voice is, is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared 
to bless Jacob. But are you really my son, Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. And then he gives the blessing. Now, we know how it goes. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going to go to the end of the story. Verse 30, as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and almost before Jacob left, the father Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. And he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me a blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me goat? wild game. I have already eaten and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as a firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master, and he declared that all his brothers will be his servants, and I guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine, and it is left for me to give you, my son. Esau pleaded, but do you, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Now let's go back to Hebrews. This is a writer of Hebrews saying, don't let the seed of bitterness live, grow, be, give you permission to act a certain sort of way. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright at the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. The bitter tears then, as you were to follow Esau, which is a fun study, it just, it takes him on a journey of just, we're not going to get into it, but there, there's a bitterness that then permeates the soul that causes a long-term behavioral action. So here's what happens. Bitterness does the perfect thing to us. It shades all that we look at. And so when we, when we see the world with our bitterness glasses on, everything has the hue of bitterness. I can see you. I see you the way you are. You're just tinted a little bit. And it shades and colors everything you look at. When bitterness is allowed to grow and live in you and, and start to harvest itself inside of you, you begin to have this vision of the world that is, is poisoned, corrupted, viewed differently. And here's the thing, there, is a tool, there are two tools, and man, I'm just, we're not going to take the time to get into it fully, but holiness and at peace with everyone. Romans 12.18 is a reflection of Hebrews 12.14, it instructs Christians to pursue peace with all people. And we tend to think it's easier to ignore conflict rather than to dive right in and to deal with it. We need to be intentional and initiate so that we can live at peace. Because when we don't live at peace with people, we see them through these corrupted, darkened glasses. And it shapes the way we interact with them. 
And it, it makes us feel a, a, this thing towards them that's different than who they really are. And we refuse to take the glasses off as we become bitter. And we say, we're only going to view people this particular way. We're only going to view these relationships this way. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, work at living at peace with people. The Bible doesn't leave a random option to say, you know what, if they're annoying, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You can, you can be rude to them. You can look at them the way you want to look at. You can say awful things or think awful things or just be in conflict them permanently. In the, in the spirit of transparency, I'm in open conflict with a human in my life. They don't live here in Wyoming and there's nobody in this church. And when we were in, when we were in Florida at Life Conference, I saw this person I was in open conflict with. And I initiated a conversation. Not because I'm ever going to be friends or enjoy this person as a human. But I don't want my two sons who I'm trying to raise to be godly men to see me live with bitterness and heartache and frustration and anger towards a human being. I don't want them, I don't want to pass my glasses to another human and say, you know what, because I wear these, you got to wear them too. And you got to live this way, looking at other people the way I look at other people. No, I had to take my glasses off, approach a human that I had, have open conflict with and say, how are you doing? I initiate because I feel the pressure and I know the wounds that are in my life. And I don't want to give myself permission to act away towards another person. I want to live at peace with all men and I want to live in holiness and, and so that God can use me to accomplish his purposes. And I believe that's true of every single person sitting in this room. That there are things in your life where you're going, you know what, it's way more fun to wear my sunglasses at night and to look directly at people with a shaded view. This holiness thing, it's a whole theology and doctrine of our denomination. And I'll spend some time, I'm gonna make, I, I just, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna make a video this week to talk about holiness. But there's a way in which holiness, I'm going to give you one word, is intentionality. It's being decisive to, to live a certain way and to surrender you, your life to Christ. To say, you can have all of me. And if Jesus has all of you, he changes, transforms, and turns you into something that is conformed to himself. Think Romans 12, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. But here's the deal. Let's, let's wrap this up. Bitterness is a pair of sunglasses you wear that put a hue on your life and the world around you. But you have to ask yourself, what motivates you to take them off and to be intentional and to keep taking steps forward? And the great theologian, Samwise Gamgee, has a word for us this morning. So watch the screen with me. I can't do this, Sam. 
so wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frugal. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. And it's worth fighting for. I want to believe that Tolkien was uh, absolutely reading Hebrews when he wrote this. And, and, and you get a picture. I'm not, I hope I'm not revealing the story if nobody's seen The Lord of the Rings yet uh, or read them. Uh, you haven't? Oh, good, good. You get the ring, this corruptible thing that's happening. And what it does to Gollum, to Smeagol, over his lifetime, it corrupts him and turns him into something ugly and awful. And, that, and, and you see Frodo working this problem and having this corruption happen to him in real time, in real life, through three long movies. And Samwise... Samwise interrupts the story all the time and is trying to root out the garbage to try to be the, to say, no, 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 we're going to keep going. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to carry you. I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you, Samwise says. And through the entirety of the story, you get this, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to intentionally make the decision to, that we see good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. This is God's creation. Jesus is in the garden and saying, if you could take this cup from me, please take it from me. But I will keep fighting for it because I believe in the human project, humanity, and I'm going to die for them. No matter how hard this is going to be, I'm going to continue to fight for them. And this is what happens when we allow bitterness to corrupt us. We begin to look a little bit like Gollum. We begin to act a little bit like Gollum. Some of you eat fish like Gollum. But do you see good in this world? Are you willing to fight for the good in this world? And at its very core... The very core of following Jesus 
means that you have been transformed and you should be emanating good from you. And at at the very minimum, good should come from your home. Good should come from your words. Good should come from your actions and how you relate to people. Good should come from how you care for others. Good should be a, a beacon in your life to where people can cling and say, why do, you, why do you talk the way you do? Why do you believe the way you do? Why do you think the way you do? Why do you approach this world the way you do? And you can say, because Jesus has turned me from a corruptible seed to a beautiful, imperishable seed. And I am going to receive his inheritance. And I'm going to live that out every single day. You are redeemed if you love Christ. If you put your hope and faith in Christ. Good should be coming from you. You should be making it happen. So the reason that the stories keep going on is because the people who love Jesus keep fighting to bring about good on this beautiful creation. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a closing song. We'll talk about holiness uh, during the week this week. Father, I pray uh, because I know how close it is to my struggle that we are intentional about that bitterness and that seed that we're planting or that we're letting be planted in our lives. Lord, help us. Help us to root that out, to, to pay attention to one another, to live at peace with all men, to let holiness be uh, evident in our life. Lord, I pray that we make that decision to say, I want to surrender my spirit to you. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name, amen.